0: This Wellness Couch podcast is brought to you by our brand new Facebook group called The Wellness Couch Tribe. Come join us and chat about any episode at any time. Keep up to date with all our events and connect with a like-minded group of wellness enthusiasts. To join The Wellness Couch Tribe, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe on Facebook. WellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo loving, thermomix owning mums to start a sustainable, faff free business of their own with the Primalista license. The Primalista license brings primal alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making primal living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The primalista license is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall.
1: Welcome to PAP episode 53. I am so owning the PAP acronym. Why not, hey? You know, Primal Alternative Podcast has that awkward acronym of pap <laughs> today's episode is all about sleep and i'm joined by one of my
2: oh sorry sorry sorry
1: sorry about that somebody's ringing me do you find that's always the way as soon as you start communicating with somebody else that your phone rings or people like try everyone, everyone tries to get hold of you but the phone hasn't rang all day what is that does anyone know what that is Answers on a postcard, please. Um, So today I'm joined by one of my health coaching uh, clients, actually, Romola Books, who is a professor and a fellow of the Association for Psychological Science. And she, um, she works at UWA, the University of Western Australia, and she's everything about neuropsychology, cognitive neuropsychology um clinical psychology. So basically everything about how sleep affects our brains and our bodies. And um it's amazing to have her on the show because we all know that it's important to get sleep, but what happens when we don't get enough sleep? Um and and is what is what even is sleep? What are the different stages of it? What happens when we're asleep? As Romola is gonna explain Sleep is not just an absence of wakefulness. (laughs) Oh
2: my goodness, what's going on?
1: Um, And she's going to talk us through uh, what sleep is, what the different stages are of sleep, what healthy sleep looks like, what constitutes an unhealthy sleep, And what to do about that snoring husband of yours and that disturbed sleep that you've got. And we also look at some of the things that can be affected when sleep goes out the window. Now, Romola's primary primary research is focused on aging, Parkinson's disease, type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, and depression. And uh, with a core feature of each of her studies of sleep disturbance and its impact. On emotional and cognitive functioning. So how does this all work? Obviously, there's going to be some amazing, there's going to be some amazing, it's a real education piece, this episode. And there's going to be some amazing actionable tips to take away in the episode as well. Now, for those of you that don't know, I am a wellness coach. I'm a qualified, just reset my exam and got 88%. Woo! primal health coach and sleep is to me is the king when it comes to reclaiming our health and having the best you know the best health possible um, and living our most you know vital life now my personal um, history is one of chronic insomnia so I had real trouble falling asleep I had real trouble staying asleep and um, I found that The the biggest hack for me, you know, I was doing all the right things. I was having the rock salt lamps. I was having an evening wind down routine. I was getting, you know, I was having a, a regular sleep pattern. But for me, cleaning up my diet really affected my sleep in a positive way. So just cleaning up my diet. And when I say that, I mean ditching grains, ditching refined seed oils, and ditching a large amount of sugar in my diet, Right that had huge effects, like kind of kind of like on my complete entire nervous system. So everything just felt a lot calmer. You know, I used to be one of those people who'd like race through every job and always feeling like I should be doing the next thing and I spent too long on that one, you know, not present at all. I know everyone can relate at some level, you know, like, oh, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, should be doing this. And kind of like, you know, I'll chill out when I finish all of that. But then you're like doing something else, doing something else right to the point where I'd get into bed and I'd be like, right, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. I've got all these things to do tomorrow. Oh my God, oh my God. If I don't get enough sleep, it's going to happen. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So now sleep for me is really amazing. I track my sleep with um, something called an aura ring. So that's O-U-R-A ring. I need to become an affiliate for these guys because I'm talking about aura rings all over the place. <laughs> but as we talk about sleep apps actually in this episode and whether they're, um, whether they're any good or not, um, but I, I track my sleep with an aura ring and I can see the, the sleep patterns and, and it relates to how I'm feeling. You know, I feel good. So I'm like, right, I just want to check some biometrics to make sure I am actually feeling good you know, I'm not just like burning all my cortisol or something like that, you know, running on vapors. And Aura Ring says that, yes, my sleep is amazing. I have my little sleep crown and usually most nights it's in the 90%, you know, in terms of effective sleep, which is really, really cool. And I do feel really, really good. So that's awesome. So um, in my health coaching programs, we really emphasise good sleep hygiene, and really, what Rommel is talking about today is more the education piece. Like, why do we need sleep? What happens when we have sleep? What are the different stages of sleep? What, ha- what happens, you know, if you get disturbed in your sleep? That's what we're going to find out all about today. And really, if you want to come and practice, you know, um, some positive habits, new routines around sleep, then check out Joining Wellness Sisters, which is my membership health coaching program. It's the best way to work with me uh, on a one-on-one basis as part of a group of other women who are very like-minded and on a similar path and similar journey to you. So the support in the group is wonderful. Um, If you want to just do like a kind of 21-day reset your sleep uh, rhythms, Check out my um, program, Thrive. You you can start Thrive at any point. Just finished a live round of Thrive. We'll probably be doing another live round later on in the year. But if you're quite keen just to get some positive sleep habits into your life, check out Thrive. It's $97 for a 21-day course that's delivered by email with a Facebook group for support. So totally doable from anywhere in the world. How cool is that? Now, oh, so exciting in Wellness Sisters, as I mentioned, we've just rounded off um, a three week journey, three week clean living journey with focus around eating real clean food, exercising or moving our bodies in a primal way. So that means lifting heavy things, moving frequently at a slow pace and sprinting once in a while. We've been trialing intermittent fasting and seeing how that works with our bodies. We've been working on an affirmation, which we've repeated every day. We've set some goals around how we want to feel, as well as really tuning into how we felt at the start of Thrive. And to wrap up Thrive, what we do is we look at how far we've come and the amazing changes that can be made in just Twenty-one days—it's really amazing. And now um, there's a like a fourth bonus week in this round of Thrive. And what we've looked at is the blocks that hold us back, right? So who's been there? You feel good when you eat grain-free. You know you operate better when you have a regular sleep routine, right? And you know you always feel amazing after you've had a walk on the beach and caught up with your bestie. So why don't you do that all the time? Right. 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 So we've just been looking at we had a we had a sharing circle, so all of the well not all of them, but some of the sisters turned up and shared their experience and some of the things that were holding them back. And we had a poll in the group as well. So like which which what's relevant to you around um, you know, keeping making a change, but keeping the change because that's the key, right? And really my message with all of my wellness coaching is this, work on your mindset, right? Because you can Google everything else. It's so true. You can Google a recipe. You can Google how many carbs you've got to eat if you want to stay in ketosis. You can Google everything. It's all there for free on the internet. But if the mindset isn't right, then you're just going to be uh, just an unraveled, unraveled thing it's just going to unravel every time, so my my joy, I guess, and my hobby is constant personal growth, constant mindset up leveling all the time and the more that you progress forward, guess what more upper limits come ha, ah, how much fun but that 's how it is, and it is like a game, like those games that your kids play on the computer. You do all these things on this level and then you, you, you reach the next level and there's still more challenges there, but more rewards. And it's fun. Like I seriously think it's the biggest fun ever. So, so go and check it out. I'd love you to join me in Wellness Sisters. It's $49 a month. So like just over $10 a week to have constant support, constant inspiration And it's a very, um, I really acknowledge that uh, personal growth is an ebb and flow situation. Ebb and flow. Ebb and flow, mate. Yeah, ebb and flow. Uh, Ebb and flow. Uh, My accent's horrible sometimes. Um, Yeah, so like I don't expect you to be gung-ho every day of the week. That's the biggest thing I hear. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've been not very present in the group. I've had X, Y, Z going on. And then it's kind of like they think they've failed, but they haven't. Because I think the biggest thing about progressing and upgrading our mindset is accepting our humanity. We're just humans and we're all imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect, whichever way you want to look at it. But, you know, like you're not going to be gung-ho, super motivated, 110% every day of the year unless you're some kind of freak, right? So acknowledge that it's okay to have ebbs and flows on your wellness journey and that when you're ebbing, that's okay because you know that when you're ready to come back, you've got your support group, you've got the sisters, you've got your accountability or your wellness bestie who's going to be cheering you along and me too. We're all there for you. So this month, um, so just in March, uh, I know we're sort of at the end of March now, but this month in March, We are looking at um, five steps, my five-step process to really getting clear on what you want, not just with your wellness, but your whole entire life. So I think it starts with nailing food, nailing sleep, nailing movement, and constantly working on it. But then you get to this point where you just have this sense of, oh my goodness, what else is possible? I've got rid of all this pain. I've got rid of all this distortion. I've got rid of all this brain fog. I am feeling better than I've done in years. My head is clear. My energy is high and it goes all day frigging long. <laughs> what else can I do? What else is out there for me? What's my purpose? And I know we're all juggling life, you know, we're juggling the kids, work, finances, Ballet lessons, soccer practice, waxing appointments—like I know, right? I know we're all <laughs> we've all got it going on. There's no one that comes to me and says, "Helen, I'd like to be in Wellness Sisters to fill all of my spare time." All right? There's none of that. there's none of that. But I think getting clear on where what direction you're heading in can just really oh, just be so motivating to think this is where I'm going. So in Wellness Sisters in March, we're really nutting out the five steps to really getting clear on what you want to call in in your life. And then, of course, working more belief work, more mindset, up-leveling stuff around, all right, so what's coming up for you when you think of that? What's popping in there? Is it how dare you think that? Is it you can't be a nice person and have all of those lovely things that you desire? Or is it like, oh, well, this would be nice, but I don't have enough time or money to do it. So, Whatever it is, we're going to be working on it. In April in Wellness Sisters, it's all about stress, but not in a bad way, just in a really positive way about acknowledging the stresses that we have in our lives and implementing some actionable tips to actually get rid of some of the stresses in our lives. Clue, some of it is to do with how you fuel and treat your body. Because you'll find, right, that when you're looking after yourself, you're not more resilient Things don't give you the shizzes as much as they would do if you weren't looking after yourself, right? Right, yeah. So that's wellness sisters, Primalistas, Primalistas, Wellness Sisters. I am wrapping up my intake for Primalistas on March the 29th, so that's like a week left when this episode goes live. Um, and I do have limited spaces as to who can join. So if you've been following me for a while, If you've already watched a demo and you're like, OMG, I want to get started. I want to be part of this national network of Primalista producers who make the Primal Alternative range. I want to help people in my community and earn some money for myself as well. Then definitely apply to become a Primalista. You'll find all of the information about our range and our online shop, plus my wellness coaching, everything on primalalternative.com. All right, let's get into the show with Professor, Ooh, didn't know she was a professor, Professor Romola. All right, welcome to the show, Romola, it's so
2: cool to have you here. Thank you very much.
1: Now, you and I met through, um, well, through Primal Alternative, really. You've been doing some of my health coaching over the last, well, year or so, really, isn't it?
2: Yes, I have. Or I've been trying to, if I'm honest.
1: <laughs> what do you mean you're trying to? You must have been trying really hard because you look like you've been getting some, yeah, you've been enjoying it and being a really good contributor in the group and getting some good results.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's a lovely, um, it's a lovely group of people. It's very supportive. It's very warm. And I think if you're struggling with trying to make changes in your life, it's really good to have a team who can kind of be your cheering section Mm. And that's what that's what it does, and I like that. Yes, yes,
1: especially, yeah, especially women who are on a similar path to you. We, I think, we can often feel quite on our own, um, on our health journeys. So it's quite nice to know that you're, oh, yes, so and so's feeling the same as me, and that's okay, you know. Um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely reassuring. But tell us a bit about you now. I, I really can't wait to get stuck into sl- everything sleep today, but tell us a little bit about how you came to be an expert in this area?
2: Well, uh, it's an interesting question because I didn't start out that way. I spent many years working as a clinical psychologist and neuropsychologist in the UK before I emigrated to Australia. And whilst I was there, I specialized in aging and dementia. So in understanding how our memory and thinking skills and mood might be changing as we age, both normal aging, and what we might call abnormal aging. So particularly dementia, things like Alzheimer's disease um, and vascular dementia and so on. And I was always really interested in um, what things were risk factors for negative outcomes. So for why did some people have memory difficulties in their 70s and 80s and others don't? Why do some people develop depression and others don't? What are the risk factors? And it was only in the last, let me think, um, twelve years that I discovered sleep, and i I mean that from a professional sense in the sense that i've always liked it personally <laughs> but um i I was working with a colleague who was in working with children, and she said i'd like you to come and help me with the study i'm doing we're going to Bolivia. Do you fancy coming and helping with the the statistics for my study and I went Bolivia south america yeah you yeah. the, the the rats run up drain pipes. So I went um, to to Bolivia to to help her, but in so doing, she basically converted me to sleep research because what we were there to do was to study what happens when you don't get enough oxygen to your brain, um, which happens in Bolivia because they live up high mountains. Um, But it also happens in a really common sleep condition called sleep apnea, where you stop breathing wholly or partially during the night. And that starves your brain of oxygen. And so began a love affair, professional and personal, with sleep. As I kind of went, ooh, maybe I need to think about sleep as a risk factor for dementia and cognitive changes in, in aging. And it's, it was so exciting to have something potentially positive to look at, something that we could actually treat, something that we could use to prevent disease and distress. So that's how I fell into it, only about 12 years ago.
1: Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? And, and you're right. You know, like sleep, oh, it's accessible to everybody. It's something that everybody can tweak and hone and improve and, and refine. But let's, let's look a little bit at how, tell me a little bit more about how sleep affects things like Alzheimer's and, and memory and depression. How, how does it all work? And what's the link with the oxygen and the, the sleep apnea?
2: Oh, good. Right. How long have you got? Okay. Yeah. Um, can I put a
1: lot of questions in there. Sorry.
2: <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But what I'd like to do is tell you a little bit about what sleep is first and how it works. Because then when I start to tell you about how it's going wrong and how it's affecting the brain, um, that, that might help us make sense of that. Right. That's, a, that's a great place so, to start because
1: I think we all just think sleep is just kind of like a, a time to rest uh, from what we've done during the day and a break from the kids, but um, that's right. it's a lot more than that.
2: All, yeah, I mean, it's not just an absence of wakefulness because we, mm. we tend to think it's of a waste of time. We tend to think of it as the opposite of wakefulness. In other words, it's, it's, it's non-wake, right? Mm-hmm. And it's actually a much more process than that. When we sleep, that's when we grow, that's when we produce growth hormones, that's when we heal, um, that's when we recharge our batteries. But the other thing we understand now we do when we sleep is um, we clean the brain out. So in the same way as when you use your muscles, you can get buildup of lactic acid in your muscles, which is why your muscles ache after you've been exercising. And anybody's been doing your program will know that's why you get people to do regular exercise and, and heavy lifting and you know, primal movements and so on, is to, to build up muscle. And in the same way, you can get byproducts of that physical activity. So actually, you can get byproducts of mental activity in the brain. So little fragments of, of, of DNA, that's the genetic stuff, and little fragments of proteins can actually build up in the brain. And that's, that's a normal process. But when we sleep, that's when we clean house. Both literally, psychologically, with sleeping on, it helps us to kind of sort out what's happened in the day and sort of clean house emotionally. But it's actually how we clean, when we clean house, we believe physiologically, neurologically, it's when it's when we're cleaning out the brain cells and the spaces in the brain. So if you don't sleep, you don't clean house and those toxins build up. So from a, from a point of view, a health point of view, sleep is not just an absence of wakefulness. It's absolutely essential to well-being. And that makes sense when you think about the fact that sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture. If we didn't need sleep, it wouldn't be torture to deprive us of it. And if you don't get enough sleep, you can make someone go completely stir crazy. I mean, I mean, psychotically crazy. So, so that's kind of one of the reasons why we sleep is because we heal, we grow. We also learn when we sleep. And but sleep isn't an all-or-nothing thing, so we tend to think of, of, of you're asleep or you're awake. There's just like these two states. In fact, there are there are stages of sleep. So there is uh, light sleep, which makes sense. It's the thing you first fall into when you fall asleep, and we're very easily woken up when we're in light sleep. And then actually, there's deep sleep, and that deep sleep is when uh, that's when we do our healing and our growing and our learning. So think of it like a whale in the ocean and the whale can put its head up above the surface of the water and when you're above the surface of the water you're awake and then you fall into sleep so you just you just pop below the surface of the water but you can still see the sunlight through the water and it's still quite light there so that's quite shallow sleep and then the whale. As you sleep longer, the whale starts to die dive down deeper into the ocean to the very deep bottom parts of the cool, dark sea, and that is that deep or slow wave sleep, and that 's the bit where we are most deeply asleep, and our brains are cleaning house and we 're learning and we 're growing and we 're healing but we don 't stay down all, all
1: night so that only happens because I love this whale analogy it 's wonderful, and i 've just been um, looking into uh, my sleep stages, I'm wearing the aura ring, which uh, reports back on, you know, your your REM, your light sleep and your deep sleep. Um, So it's really, it's really of interest to see, you know, your different stages as you go through the night. So is it only in deep sleep where we do that
2: restorative work and that cleaning house as you've described it? We think that that's the most important phase. There is actually a middle phase. There actually, you've mentioned REM. That's another one. So, so what happens is, is you go down into stage one sleep, then down into stage two, which is a kind of middling, and then down into that deep stage three or slow wave sleep. We think that the most of the kind of healthful properties of sleep happen in that slow wave sleep stage. Then what happens is after about 60 minutes of being, you know, dropping down to that slow wave sleep, we then naturally come back up again up through the stages very quickly, and then we go into REM sleep, which is a kind of light sleep that's called REM because it stands for REM or rapid eye movement, then the same as the pop band Australian pop band and that's because you're dreaming, and so your eyes are moving rapidly behind your eyelids but you actually it's a you have a form of paralysis because if you didn't, you'd act out your dreams, and some people who have sleep disorder actually do and they you know, they think they're being, you know, in a fight with someone so they punch their partner in, in the other side of the bed and and it can be very serious. You may or may not then wake up after that little period of dream sleep. You might kind of come around and go, I was dreaming about Helen and Almonds or something. Or you may wake up, go and have a pee and then you go back to sleep again and you drop down again, is this is if your head sleep is healthy, down through stage one, two into deep sleep after about 60 minutes you come back up again and you'll do that pattern over the night and we know that that deep slow wave sleep is the best bit of sleep for restoration and learning but the other bit that's really important is dream sleep or rem sleep but the problem is there's no shortcut right you can't get to deep sleep and dream sleep except by falling down, going down through the layers of the ocean to the deep, dark bottom, and then coming up into dream. So if something disturbs you, like the dog barking, or your partner snoring, or you're stressing about something, and you keep waking up, you never get into that nice, deep, restorative sleep, and then later into dream sleep. And that's why we think that disturbed sleep is so bad for you because you're not getting into the really, really, really supercharged bits, bits of sleep that are the bits that we think are associated with well-being. Does that make sense?
1: That's a beautiful um, way to describe it, yes. And you know, I'm just looking at the um, sleep stages on my Aura app, and I can see, you know, like it is, it's like a rolling, like a wave almost, and there's no there's no um, REM or dream dream state underneath. Until you've gone into deep, so you kind of like awake and then drop, and then you're into into deep. You know, there's light and then there's deep and then there's back
2: to light and then REM and then yeah. up and down again. So what you're yeah, that's hmm. right. What you're looking at is a thing called a hypnogram, which is a lovely way of saying a gram is a picture, it's a picture of a hypnogram a picture of your sleep. So if you've got that nice going down and coming up into dream sleep and going down and coming up, that's really good. That means you're you're doing all the right things. But if people who have these kinds of apps, uh, we can talk about apps as well if you want to, because um, that's another whole interesting thing. But they can at least show you whether your sleep is broken up. And some people will, will, will have very small amounts of that deep sleep or very small amounts of dream sleep. And uh, that can be problematic over, over the long term.
1: So when it comes to, to deep sleep, so as far as I understand it, deep sleep is something that is quite lacking, like quite a lot of people are lacking that good quality and um, restorative sleep that we're talking about. And it's something that, you know, you have less of as you get older. Is, is that right? And, and what can we do to enhance
2: uh, more deep sleep? Okay, oh god, you were asked you keep asking me 50 million questions in one, Helen. So, well, I'm trying to like um, do it all and then press mute
1: so we don't have to listen to the
2: drill. That's <laughs> fine, and it's occasionally, so I'm sure people will, will be patient with us. So, um, uh, let's there are lots of reasons why people don't get enough deep sleep, um, and we'll come to older adults and aging in, in a moment, but let's just talk about you know your clients, for example, people in the program that we've been in just this last few weeks. Um, many people have children, young children. Um, many people work shifts. Um, many people are dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, some people will have an undiagnosed sleep disorder. And all of those things can interfere with your sleep. And, and we know that kind of the emotional burden of caring often falls on on mums. Uh, who gets up in the night to feed the baby when they're crying? Who gets up in the night to look after little Johnny when he's feeding his you know, bed or, or or you know little Jane is thrown up, it's often the woman. And so she's most likely to have the most disturbed sleep. And there's lots and lots and lots of, of literature that says that, yes, on average, young mums get about 60 minutes less of sleep per night than young dads. And both of them get less sleep per night than, than people who don't have young children. So there are all sorts of things that are going to be impacting your sleep when you're younger and middle-aged, which are are not to do with ageing-related changes. And then there's what happens when we get older. And the literature suggests that, yes, older people do have less of that lovely deep sleep. But what is not clear is why. And for me, that's the million-dollar question. Is this something we should just accept? Or is that an ageist response? Like we accept so much stuff, That happens to old people just because they're old. Um, And there's a bit of me that's beginning to think that actually, you know, because there are some older people who don't appear to have the reductions in slow wave, deep sleep that others have, maybe there's something different about them that we could harness to help those who do have poor sleep get better sleep. And maybe that in turn would increase their quality of life, maybe increase their lifespan, maybe reduce healthcare needs and healthcare costs so I find that a really exciting idea that we shouldn't just accept that it is the way it is because you're old
1: I like it I like it and and that is interesting and I was going to ask you you know are there are there people out there older people who are having more deep sleep than others and yeah like you're saying what are they doing differently and, and how can what sort of like biohacks if you like can we um, adopt so that we can all have um, some, you know, deeper, more restorative sleep. So I'm really keep researching because <laughs> because yeah. I wanna I wanna know. So we've talked a little bit about you know um, how the body cleans cleans itself out during sleep, and it's um, it can be uh, really beneficial. And you know, lack of sleep can lead to things like Alzheimer's, memory issues, depression. What other ways? can a lack of sleep or a lack of quality sleep
2: impact us? Oh, God. I mean, how long, again, how long have you got? So we know that um, if, you, if you don't sleep well, it has an impact on the immune system. Um, it, we know that it can produce an inflammatory responses. We know it increases your risk of cardiovascular disease because you're more likely to have hypertension, so high blood pressure it increases your risk of um, of type 2 diabetes. It increases your risk, first off, actually, of obesity because one of the other things that happens, and this is fascinating, we have these hormones, you, sh- you will know about this, that regulate hunger and when we feel full. And um, when we don't get enough sleep, we don't produce enough of either of those two hormones. So not only do we feel... Um, or if we produce too much of one and not enough of the other. But we not only do we feel more hungry than we probably should given when we last ate, but our body's signaling that tells us, hey, you can stop eating now, you've had enough to eat, that is also impaired. So when we don't sleep, we eat more um, and, and more often because we feel hungrier than we probably should, and then we can't stop eating. So what, you know there are some people who say you want to lose weight, don't worry about your diet just increase your sleep because you will naturally not be so hungry so quickly since your last meal and feel full or satiate much faster if you get more sleep so those are some of the other ways i could go on road traffic accidents um uh, uh, yeah. erectile, dis- erectile dysfunction um aggression and irritation and irritability uh yeah all the bad stuff.
1: <laughs> it's like it's going to. There's some kind of. There's, there's some kind of link, and it's so interesting about the hunger side of things because we all know when we're tired, we're starving, and it's almost like you just can't get full. And, and that's not because you know um, there's something wrong with you. It's just that your hormones have all gone haywire due to due to lack of sleep, which is which is amazing. Yeah, and those,
2: those hormones are called ghrelin and leptin. Yeah. B H R E L I N and L E P T I N, but people don't need to know the names. You just need to know the phenomenon, really.
1: Yeah, one make, um, one lets you know you're hungry. One lets you know you're full. And um, yeah, and if they're not working, then you haven't really got any feedback from your body to let you know, you know, how to regulate what you're eating, which is which is could be all sorts of um, all sorts of problems. So, what what are some of the other things that are happening? You know, like when you think about it you know, electricity has only been around for like the last 100 years. And, um, you know, we're now like, it's almost like because we're we're watching TV till like quarter to 11 at night, it's almost like uh, we're telling our bodies and our genes that it's summer, middle of summer all year round, you know, which can have a really huge impact on our weight as well, because, you know, that's when our bodies are trying to, you know, fatten up um for the winter for the winter that's coming so our body our bodies are thinking it's middle of summer all year round like just for the fact that we've got our bright lights on we're looking at our screens what other lifestyle um modern lifestyle things do you see Romola that that are really affecting the quality of our sleep and what can we do about them
2: well, I mean, I, I think we should talk more about, about electronic devices because your, your, your um, proposal around fattening up for winter uh, is one argument why they're, they are a problem. But I think there's a more fundamental argument, which is that, um, and you're right about light. So the, the computer screens that we have, our tablets, our phones, they all emit light. And the light that's problematic is blue light. Um, uh, basically, it's a particular frequency of, of light that, that is the same as what is coming out of the sun. So as you say, our bodies think it's summertime. More importantly, though, our bodies think it's day. So we have an internal clock. We actually have a clock in our brains called the suprachiasmatic nucleus the suprachiasmatic nucleus, always makes me think of, um, you know, expialidocious, suprachalifragilistice. <laughs> it's um, totally supercalifragilistic. like that. Anyway, suprachiasmatic nucleus, or the SCM, it's easier to say when you're drunk. And, the, and that is basically like a little internal clock. And that internal clock runs on an approximately 24-hour cycle, which is happily pretty much the cycle of the Earth orbiting the sun. And evolution is clever, it kind of makes things happen that way. And the the supercharismatic nucleus sends out hormones that help us to fall asleep and to wake up. So, and to stay asleep and wake up, so melatonin and cortisol. And so, our sleep cycle that you know, that sleepy feeling you get just after lunch when all you want to have is an afternoon nap. That's because your your circadian rhythm, your daily rhythm, which is driven by this SCN, is saying to you, you are feeling sleepy. And then at night, it's a much stronger signal, so you want to go to sleep. And the other thing that drives our sleep-wake cycle, our circadian rhythm, is the sun. So the sun is what keeps our internal clock to time. You know when you have a watch that sometimes loses time or goes fast? The sun is the thing that keeps the internal clock to time. So what have you got, if you've got a, uh, a computer or a mobile phone or a tablet that is emitting blue light that your brain, your superchromatic nucleus thinks is sunlight, you have a signal that's telling your brain, it's time to wake up, when actually it's time to go to sleep. So it's not just about what you said, which is correct around summertime, I need to carbo load because otherwise I can't get through the cold English winter. It's actually also about uh, our brains getting confusing signals about when we should be sleeping and when we should be awake. So this wouldn't matter so much, perhaps, if we could stay asleep in the morning, but we can't. We have to get up and get the kids ready to go to school. We have to go to work. We have to do other things. So what we're doing is we're telling our brains it's not time to go to sleep so we can't sleep until very late at night, but we're still getting up at the same early hour in the morning. So we're shortening the total amount of sleep opportunity we're giving ourselves. And then we're surprised when we get to bed that we can't sleep. So we have a short amount of sleep opportunity and then we also have poor quality sleep during that short time. So it's a double whammy. And the best thing we could do is turn off all electrical devices of that kind about 5 o'clock at night. Uh, failing that, because I know that that's not realistic, although it should be for kids, by the way, is you can, actually, you can actually put filters on your devices so that they strip out the blue light. And most mobile phones and tablets now actually come with a night mode that makes the screen look slightly red. And Anyone who's having any problem sleeping, you need to turn on that night mode from about 5 o'clock in the afternoon because otherwise you're telling your brain, wake up, wake up, wake up, it's day, it's day. And it could be pitch black outside, but your poor little brain just getting these lovely, strong blue light signals from about six inches from your nozzle because you're holding this screen really close to your face is going, are you sure? I think I should be awake. And then we wonder why we can't sleep.
1: So frustrating. And from having um, my history of uh, insomnia, I know that feeling only too well it's so awful and um yeah and just and then you've got this stress and you're in bed i need to go to sleep i've got all these things i've got to do tomorrow this is my only opportunity and you're tossing and turning and nothing's happening so even if you have even if you are dropping off to sleep there's no harm in just putting on the um the night shift from sunset to sunrise anyway because it, it's only it can only bring good things can't it
2: romola i yeah i think everyone should do it and particularly for kids particularly for kids i mean absolutely particularly for kids because we know that children if you if they don't get enough sleep perhaps for example because they've got um um undiagnosed sleep apnea or they've got other some other sleep disturbance or they're having they're wetting the bed at night or they're having nightmares or whatever and anything that's interrupting good quality sleep and good quantity sleep that will impact um their ability to learn at school and that will impact their progress in school and therefore potentially their entire adult future no pressure
1: parents
2: (laughs) look here's here's the thing right we know that we, we use lots of sticks to beat parents with and i'm not trying to do that And we also know that, you know, we have good days and we have bad days. But if we set up good habits, then when there's an occasional time when, because it's a party or because we're going on holiday or because your child is sick or because of something else, they don't get the normal amount of sleep, they will be more able to cope with that. You know, life sends us curveballs. So we need to build up the sort of resilience to deal with those. And the way to do that is to have really good sleep habits on a regular basis. Which means no devices in the bedroom, no TV in the bedroom. Um, you know, bedrooms are for sleeping. Well, actually, when you're an adult, they're for sleeping or sex, but when you're a child, they're just for sleeping. And they're not for doing exciting, entertaining things like watching TV, which might make you wanna stay awake. But, you know, I think you can break the rules occasionally, but it's about having the rules to break in the first place.
1: Absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's, it's about having those, you know, healthy boundaries around. You know, like you said, yes, we should all have our screens off at five o'clock at night, but we all rolled our eyes because we all know for a fact that we are all going to be scrolling Facebook on the couch until the very last tip when we need to go to sleep. But it's great to be able to have like a modern hack that we can put on our on our screen time and 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 then teaching our kids good boundaries around. Yes, you know, we can't get away from the fact that there are screens in our life now, but what ways can we, um, you know, use them, but still maintain health and vitality, which is is key. So if it's all right with you, I'd love to delve a little bit into some of the common sleep um, disorders, if you like, or um, just some of the common sort of sleep complaints that people see. and. What uh, some of the causes, or just some of the what people's sleep says about them? Basically, is that something that we we could talk about?
2: Well, a little bit. I mean, I, I I'll talk about the things that I'm comfortable and competent to talk about, and I'll tell you if I don't know the answer because I don't. I don't want to pretend I know something I don't know. <laughs> so let's talk about apnea because that's one I do know quite a lot about, um, and it's incredibly common. Um, so we tend to think of of, of, of of sleep apnea as being the same as snoring, and it's not. Um, you can snore without having apnea, but you tend not to have apnea without snoring. So what happens in apnea, and ha- this happens in kids too, for slightly different reasons than in adults, is that the upper airway, so I'm kind of touching my neck, which you can't see, but the upper airway gets blocked. So imagine that you've got a hose pipe and you stand on the hose pipe and you either just narrow the hose pipe so it's partially blocked and the water can't get through very well. In this case, it's air in the airway or you completely close it. And if it's partially closed, that, that leads to what's called a hypopnea, which is basically... A drop in the oxygen because you can't get as much air into your lungs as you want to. The lungs are like a pair of old-fashioned bellows. You go, they, you know, the diaphragm pulls down and you suck air into your lungs like that. And if there's a blockage, it's harder work to suck the air in, so you get less oxygen into your lungs. If there's a partial blockage, if there's a complete blockage, you get no air in. You can't you can't pull the bellows apart because the you know they're plugged. And if that happens. What happens is that your, your poor diaphragm is still trying to work, but there's not, there's not much or there's nothing oxygen-wise coming in. And importantly, you're not breathing out either. And when you breathe out, you're breathing out carbon dioxide because you've stripped all the oxygen out of the air that you've breathed in. It's gone around. It's the fuel for your body, for your muscles, for your brain. And then you produce carbon dioxide as a byproduct and you breathe that out. So if you block, partially or wholly, Not only are you not getting enough oxygen in, but you're getting a buildup of carbon dioxide in in your blood, and that's really bad. Eventually, your brain will go, oh, there's something wrong here. (laughs) Um, I'm getting a bit thin on oxygen, you know. It's it's a little little hard to function here. I'm doing a lot of work while I sleep, remember. I'm learning and growing and cleaning house, and I can't do all those things because I'm not getting enough oxygen. We better wake up and breathe. So then what happens is the person is driven out of whatever stage of sleep they've got into into a higher stage of sleep, either light sleep or full wakefulness, and they go, and then they start breathing again, by which time, of course, their bed partner and everyone else in the house is wide awake. They may not even remember that. They will then fall asleep again, abstract again, and the whole thing starts again. And apnea can happen so many times in an hour that it's almost as long a time that someone's spending not breathing as they are breathing. So one of those events, to count as an an event, has to be 10 seconds long. So if you have um, uh, 15 of these obstructions per hour of sleep, then you have obstructive sleep apnea. So that's 15 times 10 seconds or more that you're not breathing properly. For every hour of sleep and I've seen people with 100 over 100 episodes per hour of sleep which means that you know having two of those episodes every minute which means that they're almost not breathing regularly at all and so you can imagine just as if you starve a car of fuel or you don't water your plants if you don't oxygenate your brain and you build up carbon dioxide that will damage it. So that's a really, really, really common sleep disorder, and it's very often undiagnosed, and it is treatable. So that's that's number one. Do you want to talk about so just, that a bit more? Before you yeah, about- yeah, yeah, yes.
1: So just on apnea, um, we sort of—I have a kind of um, idea picture in my head of kind of like a, a slightly overweight, middle-aged, balding man who's got sleep apnea. But that's not true, is it? That that's a very bad stereotype because. I know there's kids out there with sleep apnea and, you know, young, fit, healthy, young women yeah. with sleep apnea. So what's going on there and, and what can, how do we know we've got it and what can we do about
2: it? Okay. Oh God. Again, millions of questions. Right. So with kids, um, that they often have apnea because they have enlarged adenoids and tonsils. Um, so if how do you know a child's got it? They'll probably be snoring. They may, well, they may well stop breathing. It won't necessarily be as obvious as it is in adults. But if you open their mouths and look down their throats, they'll be very crowded. So normally you should be able to see the epiglottis. That's the little thing that hang that hangs down, the uvula that hangs down, and then you can see a nice open throat. But if it's all looking a bit crowded in there, that can often mean that the adenoids or tonsils are swollen, and the child's having difficulty breathing, and that needs a, a doctor to look at. Uh, Whether or not people take out adenoids and tonsils, fashions in in medicine come and go. I I wouldn't want to say what would be recommended, but it's certainly something that needs to be looked at. Often kids will grow out of that and they can be skinny or fat. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with whether or not their throat is full up of swollen adenoids and tonsils. And there are often kids who will have a lot of colds and have difficulty breathing through their noses as well. And they'll often sleep with their mouth open breathe through their mouths because they can't breathe through their nose at night so those are some of the things to look for in adults yes you get skinny apneics I mean it is true to say that um, being overweight is a risk factor um, and that you tend to see more men who snore and and have it but you can be skinny and you could be female and you can have apnea it can present slightly differently in those individuals and so sometimes gets missed Um, but look if you wake up in the morning with a headache. Um, if you wake up in the morning with a dry mouth, uh, if you snore or appear to stop breathing, or have having have sort of a, you know intermittent choppy breathing during the night, if you're very tired, if you're falling asleep at the wheel, um, if you know and you know you'll know this because you know you suddenly think oh my god I've just drifted over the median line in my car. Um, if you're very irritable and you're constantly feeling tired, even though you're going to bed at a reasonable time and getting up at a reasonable time, you should be suspecting apnea and going and asking a GP for a referral to a sleep clinic. Um, why some skinny people have, have apnea is to do with um, sort of the, the the way that their throats and the muscles in their throats are designed. And I am not um, a respiratory scientist, so I wouldn't want to talk much more about that. But it can happen in, in, in skinny people and in women as well as men. And in fact, more women are undiagnosed than men because we know more about what to look for in men than we do in women. Like everything, like heart attack, like so many things, women and men present slightly differently.
1: Mm, Interesting. So tell us more about some of the other sleep disorders that are out there.
2: Well, I think the most common one and the one that most people will know about, you've already mentioned, which is insomnia. Um, And uh, that is incredibly common. And there are different types of insomnia. So some people um, uh, have a difficulty falling asleep. Others can fall asleep just fine, but then can't stay asleep. Um, For some people, their experience of insomnia is is supported by uh, objective evidence of sleep difficulties. For others, they appear to be sleeping just fine, but they experience their sleep as terrible. Um, And for some years, that last group have been kind of considered to be slightly hypochondriacal. You know, they're kind of complaining, but they're actually sleeping fine. But we should trust people more because when um, sleep scientists have actually studied what's happening in the brains of people with that kind of insomnia, what's called paradoxical insomnia, they say I have terrible sleep, but they appear to be asleep. Their brains are actually doing something different to people who don't have insomnia. Their brains have a kinds of activity that you normally only see in people who are awake, mixed in with kinds of brain signals that you normally only see in people who are asleep. So it's almost like their brains are partly awake and partly asleep, which is consistent with what they've described. So we're beginning to realize that some people have insomnia actually having changes in the way their brain is functioning that may be driving that experience. For others, the insomnia, particularly the falling asleep and waking up types, can be associated with anxiety or depression or stress. Because we all know that when you're worrying about something, when you're, you've got a deadline looming or someone in your family is sick and you're waiting on a diagnosis or or, or that that will interfere with our sleep. And for some individuals, they, that interference becomes chronic. It goes on and on and on week after week after week. And those are the individuals who get diagnosed with insomnia.
1: Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So um, two things, because we get into the end of the show now, but two things I wanted to... Uh, ask you, uh, we've kind of touched on them, but we didn't go deep enough for me, is sleep disturbance and sleep apps. So like sleep disturbance, you know, there's a lot of us that are out there, uh, you know, sleeping with a snoring husband and waking up every however many times a night, elbowing them in the back and telling them to roll over. Can you tell us a little bit more about how a sleep disturbance is affecting us, um, and why maybe we should be asking those husbands to move out the bedroom.
2: It's <laughs> what's called a sleep divorce. That's the terminology for sleeping in separate bedrooms. is a sleep divorce. A sleep divorce. <laughs> that's, that's the terminology. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, you need he needs he needs to get. That or she, if it's her who's snoring, needs to get that seen to and treated it because it's affecting their health as well as yours. Yeah, we can, we can end up with a secondary sleep disturbance because someone else is disturbed. So are we. Look, it's affecting us in exactly the same way, except that we're not losing oxygen. We're just losing that lovely, deep, quality sleep. So the, so the two ways that, that apnea affects us are we don't get enough oxygen and we have disturbed sleep, so we don't get that lovely, deep, restorative, slow-wave sleep the ways that insomnia affects us and sleep disturbance from someone else or something disturbing or interrupting our sleep is the second way that we don't have that lovely, deep, restorative sleep because we don't have enough time to get into slow-wave sleep and then into REM sleep to clean house, to to grow, to, to, to heal, and so on. So it's affecting us in exactly the same way as if, as if it was a primary problem that we were experiencing directly. So that's a really good reason if you've got a bed partner who is... Um, whose who sleep is disturbed uh, a they need to go and get that dealt with but b you might need to sleep in another room until they do because you need at least one of you to be functioning on all cylinders and if you're both being compromised by that one individual's sleep problems that is not good for your family or relationship or anything or your health so I, I, you know, I would say there are lots of people who recommend a sleep divorce under those circumstances It's just, you know, maybe, maybe you have date night, maybe sleep in the same bedroom, <laughs> but maybe other nights you, you have a sleep divorce. That's so funny. <laughs> sleep
1: and you know, like, I, I wouldn't like to call it a sleep divorce, but my husband and I sleep in separate bedrooms and uh we have to, and I'm very open about it because i know there are a lot of people um that struggle with with snoring husbands and struggle with a good night's sleep and um you know and all of the the consequences we've discussed today and insomnia was a massive issue for me and so i've slept on my own for over a decade and um i get the best night's sleep i wake up um the best version of me and when you're feeling you know, not pissed off with a snoring husband, you can have a much better marriage. And like you say, like, you know, when you're asleep, yes, the bedroom is for sex as well. But, you know, you don't always have to just be asleep when you're in your bedroom. You know, I think so long as there's probably more chance of intimacy if you're not tired and grumpy
2: and anxious and depressed. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing is, both for men and women, although the evidence is more available in men, if you're not getting enough sleep, particularly if you have apnea, you're more likely to have difficulty with getting an erection or getting aroused if you're a woman. So actually, there are some men who are, you know, taking Viagra for for, for erectile dysfunction, and actually what they need is sleep treatment. Mm. So that's another interesting just in the same way, there are some kids who are being diagnosed with having, um, you know, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and actually, what they are is sleep deprived. We're beginning to realise that sleep is a is a fantastic kind of cure for all sorts of things, and and it it it's drug free. I mean, you know, most of what we do to intervene in sleep disorders is behavioural, so it's about changing habits, it, which is what you are all about. It's about having good sleep hygiene. It's about having good bedtime rituals. It's about clearing the bedroom of of distracting and light-producing things. Um, it, in the case of apnea, of apnea, it might be about wear, wearing a CPAP device, which delivers oxygen into to, in, into your into your um, airway. But but it doesn't involve drugs. Drugs are really a last resort. And although they make you think like you're sleeping properly, actually they produce poor quality sleep because they don't give you that lovely whale going down into the deep ocean and coming up again in that lovely rhythm that we've described, they just knock you out. So it's not proper sleep. So it feels like sleep, but it's not that good quality sleep you need for health. So they're really a last resort in, in, in most people's opinion.
1: So before we get on to, before we get on to sleep apps, because I know there's quite a lot of, um, you know, people who are really interested in the biomarkers that, that follow this show and listen, um, before we get into that, I'd just like to talk about sunglasses. So I, we know like if it's, if this is all, you know, we can make some really significant improvements to our sleep just with behavioral change, like, you know, um, the blue blocking device, um, apps and stuff on our devices. And, and also getting some real sunlight on our face first thing in the morning can be really good for setting our circadian rhythm. So, I'd love to know what your thought is on sunglasses. So if we're like up up looking at a screen with the bright lights on, you know, in our living room every night until we go to bed and then during the day we're just going around with sunglasses on, is, is, a, is sunglasses in any way affecting our sleep?
2: You know, I haven't read any evidence to say it is because um, the, I suspect that the blue light from the sun is kind of getting in around the edges. Um, so, you know, we know that, that the blue light from the sun actually impacts people who are legally blind. Our brains can still, can still detect it. So, uh, cause there are you know, different, different pathways. So I'm not so sure about that. What I do know is that increasingly people are beginning to wear blue light blocking glasses when they use computer devices. So instead of worrying about sunglasses for the, during the day, which are not really blocking blue light. It's more about wearing, wearing blue light blocking glasses at nighttime. And you can actually get glasses that actually block blue light from computers. So they're kind of like not sunglasses. They're computer blue light blocking glasses. But I haven't read anything that says that sunglasses during the day is a real issue. If I find something that speaks to that, I'll um I'll post something on your Facebook page.
1: Yeah, let me know because that's one of my little theories that you know we um we are wearing sunglasses mainly because we're sensitive to the light, mainly due to inflammation and lack of sleep and all of the things that got us into the mess in the first place. Yeah, and I really think that you know not wearing the sunglasses during the day it makes sense that if you if you're seeing more blue light you're know, on on in your eyes then um yeah then and, and then not on an evening it just kind of makes sense that it would have some kind of positive but yeah let me know if you do find any uh, research yeah.
2: but i think it'd be more imp- not to block to block the blue light at night would be more important than yes. worrying about sunglasses yeah. and yes you're right you've got to get out you've got to get sunlight but please don't stare at the sun as no paleo <laughs> expert recently said what? you'll blind yourself
1: you don't look right at the sun, but be out, you know,
2: with your face. He
1: said
2: on his Twitter feed just a few weeks ago that you should go out and stare at the sun. Oh, staring at the yeah. sun.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, that's what he said. So oh. don't do
1: that. Don't, don't stare directly at the fireball itself, but just be out in nature and, and enjoy, enjoy the sunshine.
2: And, 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 and of course, exercise, because when you exercise, that improves your sleep. So we know that exercise helps memory and mood. And one of the reasons why we think that's the case is because when you exercise, you sleep better. And when you sleep better, that helps your memory and mood because your brain cleans itself out. So maybe sleep is the thing between the exercise and how it helps other aspects of our well-being.
1: Sleep is right. king, as I always say. So if we were going to track our sleep and we were like, oh, what's this you know, thing that Helen's talking about where she's monitoring her sleep? talk a little bit to us before we we end the show um, about sleep apps what's your thoughts on them can you recommend
2: any ones that we might want to use um right so i'm going to talk about them generically because i'm 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 not in i'm not in the business of recommending any particular app um so okay on the go- on the plus side i think if you're interested and curious if you're curious about your sleep and what it looks like if you think it might be not very good and you think it would help you to have some data then i would recommend a sleep app um uh, the kinds of uh of, of sleep devices based on movement so things like um actigraphs so watches rings things that you wear on your wrist or hand that 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 record movement are probably more accurate than the kinds of things that are on a phone that you stick under your pillow um, but they will all they will all tell you a little bit of something, but you should take the data with a degree of skepticism. The reason is is that um, they're only ever going to give you approximate data. They all round up to the nearest 30 seconds or one minute. They won't be very sensitive, for example, to very short awakenings. So if you wake up for only 20 seconds, an app might not detect that because of the way that the, the number calculation and crunching works. So it will tell you your sleep is fine and you'll be going, no, it wasn't. I remember looking out the window and staring at the moon. Um, So you need to be, you need to take them with a bit of a pinch of salt, um, but they're a good general guide. They're not gospel. Do not believe everything that any sleep app or sleep device, device tells you. And the biggest issue is, is that anyone can develop a sleep app or a sleep device. They're not licensed. There is no standard that you are required to meet to ensure that the data they produce are accurate. And the only way you could do that is to actually run them side by side with a gold standard sleep recording um, you know, event, like going into a sleep laboratory and having full, full polysomnography, and then checking to see whether the the two devices, the full PSG gold standard and the the device or the app agree. And no commercial company has the time or money or interest even in doing that kind of work. So what they could be telling you, it could be 90% accurate, but it could be 50% accurate. It could be that sometimes it says you're awake when you're asleep, or sometimes it says you're asleep when you're awake. So by all means, play with them, have a look at them. Use them as a way of having a conversation with yourself, with your family, maybe with your GP about any concerns. But do not treat them as gospel because they are not. Here endeth the sermon. Here endeth the sermon. Sleep ups are not gospel, but
1: you know, it's good and they're great. You know, like I think it's good that we can we can track this stuff. But I think really what it comes down to at the end of the day is how do you feel? And if and if you're yeah. feeling good and the sleep app says, hey, you had 94% optimal sleep last night, then you can go, all right, good. And, and you're off for your day. But if the sleep app saying you were great last night and you're like, well, I feel like dog shit today, then obviously you need to trust <laughs> trust yourself over the, yeah. over the sleep app, right? Right.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, we, we are the experts on ourselves and about how we feel. And so we need to trust ourselves. But that's, you know, that's something of a mantra, isn't it, for you? We need to trust ourselves in the way we feel. And we need to be, yes. we need to be happy with expressing the way we feel as valid and believing that that's a valid thing. Yeah. But, but I would say, you know, if a sleep app and you were saying different things, that would be saying to me, well, go see your GP because there's something not quite right that I need investigating. What's this about? What can I do to make it better? So the great thing about an app, or a device is that it gives you it gives you data. It helps support your thinking. Knowledge is power, um, and you can then decide how you're going to use that in ways that will help you improve your well being. But they are not an end of themselves. They're just they're a great starting place. I think would be a, a way of saying it. But I wouldn't use them directly. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. So before we round off the show. Um, Is
1: there anything that you want to leave our audience with today? Any closing message, um, that you, you really is burning inside of you,
2: Romola, that you want to get out? (laughs) Well, I do want to say that there on March 15th is world sleep health day. And, um, it's going to be, there's going to be all sorts of um, uh, you know, media releases and, and, and discussions across Australia around this. And this is particularly relevant in Australia right now because there's a parliamentary inquiry into sleep health awareness in Australia happening as we speak. That parliamentary inquiry um, is looking at you know, whether we are training enough people to help manage sleep problems, whether we're educating the public, whether we're educating kids enough about sleep health. And so uh, there's going to be all sorts of information available that people might be interested in following up with. If they're interested in the Parliamentary Sleep Inquiry, they can just look on the, on the, on the Parliamentary website. Just Google Parliamentary Sleep Inquiry and they'll find it. Um, if they want to know more, then there's something called the Sleep Health Foundation, which is an Australian organisation that offers advice sheets about different kinds of sleep problems and ways to get help. So if people have more questions, a really good source of of information and support is the Sleep Health Foundation's website. So watch out for World Sleep Health Day on March 15th um, and check out the Sleep Health Foundation's website if you want more information.
1: Awesome. And if we want to reach out to you, uh, where can we find you?
2: (laughs) um oh that's interesting if it's i mean if it's if if uh people are part of your primal alternative group they can just um set, um tag me in a message on on facebook and i cuz i check that and it'll come up and i'll answer it um that's probably the best way to do it um I, if if you're interested in god forbid actually reading some of my papers my, my journal articles um, you can find those um, on uh, something called ResearchGate or um, I actually have them all on my university research page. So you just look for me at the University of Western Australia with my name, Romola. There's only one at UWA, so it's easy to find. You don't need my surname. And you can find search, search there. So that's probably a, another way of finding out
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Romola. I did invite you on because I do believe sleep is king and it's just really interesting to get a little bit more of the science behind what's going on when we don't um, get good sleep. So thank you so much for your time today. The information's been awesome. It's
2: really great. I was just thinking, actually, if, if, if you wanted to start kind of a, a, a thread on your um, primal alternative. Um, Facebook page I would answer questions in that thread if that would be helpful too
1: Look, that's a great idea when the podcast um, episode goes up I will tag you in and then if anyone's got any questions from the show they can put their comments in there and you can answer them there
2: perfect thank you all right you're welcome thank you very much thank you
0: We hope you enjoyed this Wellness Couch podcast. Did you know we've launched a brand new Facebook group where you can chat about any podcast you like with a tribe of like-minded people? The group is called The Wellness Couch Tribe and it's an inspirational digital meeting place to connect you to like-minded wellness lovers just like you. To locate it and come join us, simply search for The Wellness Couch Tribe wherever you enjoy Facebook.